You're listening to Acts of Impact, the show where we focus on positive contribution to the individuals and communities around us. In each episode, we'll hear from both the helpers and the helped, and learn new ways to face the challenges around us. On today's show, we interview with Well Aware, a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to building long-term sustainable water projects in Eastern Africa. We'll learn how deeply this problem affects the African region, why previous attempts to tackle it have failed to last, and how Well Aware has been able to maintain a 100% success rate. Our guest today is a well of information. Let's dive in. Welcome to Acts of Impact. I'm your host, Nicholas Hill, and we're here with today's guest, Carice Sacco. Carice is Executive Director for Well Aware, a nonprofit organization in Austin, Texas, that works to provide safe, sustainable drinking water for communities in East Africa. Carice, thank you for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. You know, it the irony is not lost on me that you and I are meeting at a time where Austin has just come out of its own kind of miniature water crisis. It's it's really fun that it's the third time in the last, what, four or five years uh, that our cities had to go on boil notice. So um, yeah, the uh, irony is not lost on me. <laughs> yeah, I, wo- I woke up today and had to wash every single dish in my house. I was yep. like, I've just been collecting them over the last few days, I feel like. So I'm glad this we're coming felt- out of it. Yeah, this one felt longer than the last couple that we had to. It was like four or five days this time, which was just seems excessive. But. Yeah, uh, definitely for a huge city, it's it's interesting. And so obviously very timely, you know, I want to talk to you about this problem. As someone who's kind of been on the ground working to solve, you know, water scarcity, can you help me understand the water crisis? How is it affecting the regions that you're working? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think current day with climate change and all that good stuff going on, um, Luckily, the water crisis is um, becoming more talked about and known. You know, you start hearing about large cities who are having to cut back on water usage, um, going under boil notices, uh, things like that. And so we're happy that this is an issue being talked about more and more in kind of pop culture, I guess you would say. Um, but where we're working in Kenya, it is, it, it's a huge problem in Eastern Africa. And uh you know, it's, it's wild. It, you know, every time I visit East Africa and get to go beyond the project sites, it blows my mind that we live on the same planet, uh, that, you know, in my house, I've got four sinks that easily give me clean water. And we're in communities over there uh, helping provide a clean water source where previously the women are walking eight miles to get water every single day. And that's just bringing back what they can carry. Um, so probably doing that trips a couple times a day because just five gallons of water weighs 40 pounds. Um, it doesn't sound like a lot. It is a lot. I've tried to carry the 40 pound jerry can across a conference center before just for, you know, we had a table at an event and I was struggling. People had to help me. So, um, you know, these you have these women walking eight miles a day, sometimes twice, um, to get enough water just to keep their kids alive. Um, Of course, as you can imagine, they're not getting jobs because there's no time for that because you're walking for water. You know, half the population of community doesn't have a job, the economy's struggling. 
young women have to drop out of school once a month, um, once they hit puberty, because if there's no clean water access at the school they're going to, they can't stay clean during uh, their menstrual cycle. So, you know, that spirals, you have young women missing a week every month. Uh, that turns into more and more time lost and they end up dropping out of school and also just walking for water. So um, basically all development within these communities we're working in is stagnant until they have clean water access. There is no moving forward if you're having to work that hard every single day just to stay alive. Yeah, I mean, I think about the hierarchy of needs. You know, if your basic needs aren't being met, then how are you supposed to think about economic achievement? How are you supposed to think about your studies or your upcoming exam when, you know, you're, you're thirsty and you're trying to provide water for your family? Yeah. And I mean, again, like Austin just being in Boyle notice, it's nowhere near what these communities are dealing with. But, you know, you and I both know the slight, uh, you know, annoyance it puts on your everyday and like, shoot, I can't drink a glass of water. I got to boil it first. And that that alone is an inconvenience. So imagine having to leave your home, walk eight miles, bring it back. And for the most part, these sources they're gathering from aren't even clean. When I go to your website, I'm struck by this statistic that says 60% of the projects that we're doing to combat this problem are failing. And only 5% of the projects that are being done to prevent this are ever revisited. So to me, what that says is if we go dig 20 wells, then 12 of them are going to fail and only one of them is going to be revisited. I mean, it just feels like that is not sustainable. And I wanted to get your thoughts on why is it that these projects are failing? What is it that's that's missing the mark? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And it's one that we love to talk about because our statistics, well aware statistics are very different. And I do just want to preface the stats on our website are just talking about the overall issue as a whole. Well aware has a 100% success rate, uh, meaning every project we've ever done is up and running and providing clean water to the community that it's in. Um, but the reason this failure rate is so, so high is one, um, lack of technical expertise and uh, the types of projects that are being implemented. Um, so no community has the same water needs. No community has the same groundwater makeup. No community receives the same exact amount of rainwater every year. Um, so there is no template approach to water system implementation, yet you see that across the board with organizations doing this kind of work is this template approach, giving the same system to every community. And that's just not going to work. Each community has its own needs and needs to be worked with and given a customized system that is going to support their needs as a community. Uh, so that technical expertise and choosing the wrong system is one reason these systems can fail. Two is you do a water system, you get your pretty photo, you send it to your donors and you leave. And this obviously is, is one of the biggest problems is this, there's no long-term relationships with communities. There's no long-term commitment to the life of these systems, um, you know, a lot of organizations, once you get that photo, they're gone and the community never hears from them. And we get requests from communities all the time that say, you know, we have the system that was put in by X, we can't get a hold of them, can y'all help us fix it? And so, you know, that there's no long-term commitment there. Um, and maintenance, I mean, this goes hand in hand with the long-term relationships is 
you know, you're working with machinery like this, with systems like this, something's bound to break at some point, no matter who's doing the system, what. Uh, but if there's no one there to fix it, that system will fail. And we are there for the long-term maintenance, for the long-term problem solving. Uh, if there's no one there to fix it, it's going to fail. That community loses interest and stops using it and back to square one, almost in a worse position than they were before there was a water system. I could definitely see as a community leader, if you're coming to me and building something and then walking away and leaving me just to pick up the pieces, that I could lose trust in future projects or future teams that are saying they could do the same thing. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, another huge piece of this is if you don't have community buy-in on this water system, it is going to fail. It's just, there's no way it's going to last. Communities come to us to request a system. We never just show up and say, hey, you need water, so we're going to give it to you. Um, you know, all relationships are are engaged by the community. If if they're not committed to the system, like I've gotten to sit in on water committee meetings in the communities we've worked with, and we don't say, hey, this is well aware system and you need to take care of it. We say, this is your system. And we have Kenyan team members who are helping do this training and education around it. But um, once they know it's their system and they need to take care of it in order to have this clean water source, you get that buy-in and that just increases the chances of success for a system. So we have this we have this situation where we're running into water shortages, unsafe water, unclean water. We see that current solutions, you know, before well aware coming in are not really hitting the mark that we need to hit. How does well aware get involved? I would love to hear the origin story because when you and I spoke uh, previously, you mentioned that it wasn't quite, you know, it wasn't so cut and dry. So how did Well Aware get involved with the water crisis? Yeah, so great question. Uh, last month was the 12 year anniversary of our first system. So we've been doing this work for a while. Um, and, uh, but our founder, Sarah Evans, um, Sarah calls herself a recovering lawyer. And so, uh, you know, 15 years ago when uh, she was in that stage of life, she had a friend from Kenya uh, who lived here, whose father li still lived in Kenya. And um, he was in a small village and his livestock were dying. So this friend came to Sarah and said, hey, will you help me file the paperwork so we can raise donations to buy my dad more livestock in his village? Um, it's all the livestock are dying there. And so Sarah, being the person that she is, wasn't just going to take that at face value. She, of course, agreed to help and, and file the paperwork and do all that, but she wanted to she knew that if they raised the money, bought more livestock, they'd likely just die again. So she wanted to figure out why they were dying. And she quickly learned about the water crisis in this region um, and that the livestock were dying because of lack of access to water. And if you have livestock dying from not having water to drink, imagine what was happening to the people in that community. So Sarah uh, quickly pivoted. She got her friends on board, um, filed paperwork, and uh, they raised money and went over and drilled a water well for that that community instead. Uh, we are still involved with that project, uh, but Sarah will tell you that she got very lucky with that first drill. She had no idea what she was doing. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not easy work. You can't just stick a hole in the ground wherever and hit awesome water. And they did. So again, it was a successful project, but she quickly came home. Uh, gathered technical experts who had done this kind of work before and, uh, you know, the rest is history. And now we've been 
drilling wells in the ground in East Africa for 12 years. Talk about taking ownership of a problem. <laughs> Someone comes to you and says, my livestock are dying. We need help with this. You find out that that's a surface level symptom of a much deeper issue. And Sarah basically takes that and says, okay, let's go solve that problem is, is just miraculous. That's amazing. So let's go ahead and, and I, I wonder if you could put me on the ground on one of these projects. Let's talk about how one of these will unfold. So if I'm um, a community in Eastern Africa that is facing my own water insecurity, how do I get involved with Well Aware? And then what does it look like for me on the ground? All of our projects and relationships with communities begin with the community. Um, and that almost immediately puts the ownership and the drive for the system in the hands of the community. They're requesting it and we're just here to help provide the resources and funding that they don't have to do this. They can reach out to us in a handful of ways. Um, most of them find us on Facebook, on Google searches. A lot of people in East Africa have smartphones that might not even have access to a toilet. The the internet access over there is is beyond what you might imagine if you haven't been. Also, word of mouth. Uh, we have been in Kenya for 12 years now, uh, so a lot of communities just hear about us from the neighboring community, and they'll reach out and get a project request form. But However they find us, they, they initiate the, the relationship. Once our technical team can review it, we have technical experts in the U.S. and in Kenya on our team over there. Um, if it looks like a good option because, you know, we make sure there's not a ton of tribal conflict in the area. Um, we make sure that there is community land to do a system on. We'll never do systems on private land. Um, if it looks good on paper, we'll send our Kenya team out to go do a site visit, get to know the community a little better. Um, and, you know, just because we've been working in Kenya so long, there's some regions we know we can't drill. Either the groundwater just isn't there or the, there's not clean groundwater. Um, it's too close to the, um, to the coast, something, anything like that. So our experts know where and where just generally we can't drill. And then beyond that, we'll do a ton of investigation. We'll look at borehole completion reports from nearby. We'll do hydrogeological surveying. Uh, if everything looks good, we'll continue to move forward with a new drill because uh, that's always our first option. That is going to be the biggest impact for a community. Um, if, if they are not a candidate for a new drill mentioned before, we'll look at giving them a large scale rainwater purification system. Um, we've re we rehabilitate broken systems. We've done spring water filtration pipelines before. So again, no community, no two communities are the same. And these drills that we're doing, they are deep borehole drills. Uh, we don't do hand pump systems. Um, those are great systems in emergency situations, but not for long-term community development. So, you know, we'll work with the communities to understand their needs ahead of time, implement the system. And again, we have these long-term relationships with them. So if something breaks, they know how to get a hold of our team. We have a couple communities that have actually started naming their babies after Mike Matuku. He's our project manager in Kenya. He's been with us basically since the beginning and they know him so well, uh, there's babies being named after him. So that he's, is amazing. <laughs> so there's a bunch of mics running there, around. There's a lot of mics running around <laughs> and uh, we love to get, we, the, you know, when Mike visits the community, he'll always get a photo with the babies named after him and we get to see those. So, um, you know, we're just so involved with the community. They are every step of the way because this is, 
it's their water system. It's their livelihood. And we are just there to help provide the resources um, to do these systems. So I'm a community leader on the ground. I've filled out this project request form. Your team is coming out to investigate, looking at reports, looking at geological surveys and, and everything that they need to figure out if this is a good candidate. Then we're coming out. You said that you focus on deep, it, am I getting this right? Deep borehole wells? Yes. And I'm sorry, I'm, I try not to use the term borehole because I know that that is not a common term, uh, you know, across the board. It's a, but a, a deep water well. Um, so yeah, and I think our shallowest is 78 meters uh, and our deepest is like 314 meters. So we're doing really, really deep drills down into the aquifer. But sometimes you hit water really early on and that's surface runoff water that you're hitting underground. And we make sure to drill way past that. Um, we also use steel casing on our drills. We don't use PVC piping. So our drills cost a little bit more, but that's because we're, we're building these systems that are going to last for decades. Um, we try to put the systems on solar as much as possible. So there's no added costs for the community. We're trying to do everything we can to really empower the community with the most successful system for them. The level of success I think that you've had is, is really extraordinary. And we talked about this earlier, but you mentioned that WellAware has a 100% success rate. What does, what does that mean? All of my, all of the projects are successful. What goes into that success rate? Yeah. So what it means exactly is that every system we've implemented, new drills, pipelines, rainwater catchment systems are still providing clean water to the community that they're in. Um, that does not mean that they don't break down sometimes. They do. That's just, you know, that's just how it is. That happens here all the time too. Um, but it means that we will go back into the community once we're notified of the issue and help them resolve it. Before we do a water system, we have two full-time team members in Kenya, uh, community team members. So their sole responsibility is doing surveying before a clean water system is put in to really understand that community, um, population, disease rates, attendance rates. And then that team will go back out a year later uh, after the water is available and we'll do the same surveying again and see how those rates have changed, see how disease rates have decreased, see how population has grown, how attendance rates have increased. We're, we're constantly visiting these communities, whether it's for a maintenance need or not. Uh, we just have these long-term relationships. Um, and because of that, we're able to maintain these systems and, and help them maintain these systems and educate them on how to maintain them themselves. I want to dig into that piece a little bit too, because something that, that I found really interesting about your organization is that you have created a mobile app and the only mobile app of this, of this kind that is being implemented. Um, can you tell me about that? So you mentioned earlier that your team helps them to help themselves when it comes to the maintenance and upkeep of these systems. How does the mobile app come into play there? Yeah, so uh, just for a little background information, our founder, um, gosh, I want to say the year was 2016, uh, started a for-profit company called Well Beyond. Um, the initial idea behind this was company uh, was consulting for other NGOs doing similar work so we could help grow WellAware's success model. Um, 
So she started developing an app along with uh, one of our lead engineers. Uh, they are now app developers. And if you ask them, they will say they never thought that would be a thing. Um, but they, they created what we called the Well Beyond app. And this is an app that any NGOs in the water sector can use. Um, and they're even working with some NGOs beyond water. But the original idea beyond the app, behind the app was um, this, again, like I mentioned, the, this, people have cell phones in East Africa. You can be in a very remote village where there's uh, no infrastructure, no school, but you see the man herding his goats in the field holding a cell phone in his hand. So um, mobile access over there is just wild. Um, so this app works offline and it's basically a troubleshooting tree for water systems. Um, so say you turn on the tap one day, there's no water. The community can go into this app and say, okay, there's no tap, no water coming from the tap and it will walk them through questions and um, enable them to fix this issue on their own because a lot of the time it's an easy fix. It's a switch got flipped wrong or the solar panels just need to be cleaned off. Uh, so this is putting more power and, and education into the hands of these communities um, because when a water system's down, you know, we, even if Wallower is getting contractors out there to fix the problem, uh, it might take some time for them to notify us and then for us to get contractors out to the site. So this lessens the amount of time that water systems are down more ownership in the hands of community. There's live chat support. Uh, so if they just have a quick question about their water system, they can live chat with someone on our team. This app also has routine maintenance checklists. So every quarter, um, the community members that are on the app will get pinged to do a routine maintenance checks. So every three months, they're double checking their solar panel. Um, you know, I don't know all the text, the technical things that it walks them through, but. Um, our experts on the ground onboard these communities whenever they're there doing water systems. And then it just helps stay in front of maintenance issues that the system might experience. And then if it does, they can get in touch with us and also most of the time solve their own problem. Um, so it's just, it's this really amazing tool. Like I mentioned, there's organizations using it that aren't just water orgs um, and they can build out modules and support for any type of work that um, organizations are doing in these last mile communities. So if I'm, uh, if I wake up and I go to the well that is supposed to be providing my community with clean water and it's not working, I pull up this app, I take a look and it's going to start asking me questions and running me through troubleshooting steps. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so it'll first ask, you know, what kind of system does your community have? And they've built in deep borehole. They also built in troubleshooting for hand pump wells, which again, WellAware does not do, but a lot of organizations do. And we wanna be able to help communities that have those systems as well. So it'll ask you what kind of system you have. You say it'll give you a list of options of what the issue is you're experiencing. And then it'll start asking you, okay, is walk down the pipeline. Do you see any leaks? No leaks? Okay, let's go look at the tap. Is the tap on? Is the tap off? Things like that. And it'll walk you all the way through to say either this is a larger issue, contact the support team and that'll ping our team, or it'll say, okay, quick quick fix, just go switch this flip and okay, the water's back running, good to go, great. And so it's just more of that power in the hands of these communities because it is their water system and we are just there to support them when they need us. 
this feels like better customer support than most large organizations that I've worked with. So now we've talked through a little bit about why WellAware has been so successful and some of the things that you're doing to keep this long-term impact. How can someone who's listening to this today, what can we do to help? So if we're wanting to help uh, either the WellAware organization specifically or just the cause in general, what are some things that we can do to make an impact? Yeah, and I love this question. And I just want to preface that a lot of people want to go to East Africa with us, which is totally an option. We do guest travel in the summers. Uh, but you know, if you just reach out wanting a few volunteer hours, we're not going to send you to Kenya with a shovel. That's just not how this work happens. <laughs> but uh, And one more thing I do want to say is before anybody supports any organization or work that they love, I, I always encourage you to do your research first and make sure that whatever organization you want to support is paying attention to results over time. You want to make sure that, that your dollar is going to be taken as far as it can. Um, but with that, there's lots of ways to get involved with Wallowair. Uh, one of the biggest things is just awareness. Uh, follow us on social media. We've got, we're on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram uh, at Wellaware World and just help spread the word. Um, educate yourself about the global water crisis. Share our posts. Reach out if you have questions. We're always happy to jump on a call. Uh, obviously, support financially if you can. We have a recurring group of donors called The Village. And these are folks who give anywhere from $5 a month to $1,000 a month to support our work. Uh, we have campaigns throughout the year. The biggest one coming up called Shower Strike is at the end of April. Uh, this was actually the first campaign our founder ever did to fund the very first water system 12 years ago. Um, and it's a week-long campaign where uh, people, you sign up, you create your own fundraising page, and you say, I'm not going to shower uh, this week or until I hit my fundraising goal. Uh, it's a lot easier than you would think, and it connects with Facebook. And with Shower Strike, you can get your company involved. You can get your school involved. Um, but again, if end of April doesn't work out for you, you can always donate your birthday on Facebook. Um, just little things like that. Uh, if you're in the Austin area, you can always come by our office and meet us and help us write thank you cards at the office. We've got an annual gala in December if you want to volunteer at an event. Um, but yeah, there's just so many ways, uh, introduce us to people in your network. We're always looking to be connected to new companies and schools who want to get involved. So, um, spreading the word. Yeah. And I saw, I, I saw on your website, I'm not sure if we've mentioned it yet, but it did say that, um, I think just $15 can, can go towards, you know, getting, uh, one individual clean, safe drinking water for a lifetime. Well, thank you. You know, I want to say thank you for, for talking with us today about the crisis that we're facing in these regions and what's really happening in these communities that, that we need to, to be going after. And then also just talking to us about the well-aware approach and what your team is doing out there that has been so successful. Um, and just want to thank you again for your time today and for the impact that, that well-aware is making. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I just really appreciate you giving us uh, another platform to talk about what we do. So appreciate it.
Today's show was directed and produced by me, with music from Alex Grohl. Special thanks to Carice and the WellAware team for their time and insight. If you liked today's episode, please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts, and consider leaving a review as it will help us to spread the word about the show. Thanks for listening to Acts of Impact.